All right. Kids want to head to reach kids, they can do that now. All right. So, good morning, Reach Church. All right. We are continuing in our series in Galatians. Uh, astonished at the fact that anyone would trade the gospel of grace for slavery to works. Now, we've been uh, kind of drilling this in week after week after week that the reality is we have no work to be done. We don't have to, to earn any salvation, that it's nothing but Jesus that saves us, that it's faith and grace and Jesus alone. We've talked about... Uh, kind of the personal defenses. We've walked through some of the theological defenses of this gospel that ultimately the law, the law is not supposed to save us. The law is not supposed to sanctify us. The law is not supposed to be the power by which we do anything. That the law is merely there to show us that we are sinners, that we are enslaved to our sin, and then push us towards Jesus and nothing but Jesus. Now today, today we're looking at that once again, this kind of concept that, that the law and our submission to it makes us slaves. And Paul, in this passage, he, he presents kind of two alternate paths to salvation. Two alternate paths, and you can either be, you can either be a slave or you can be an heir. You can be a slave or you can be an heir. You can be a slave trying to work hard, trying to earn your salvation, trying to please your master day in and day out by performing works of the law, or you can be an heir and receive all of the blessings, not by payment, not by your own work that you put into it, but because you, are, you have that inheritance as a son. That's what we're looking at today, and we're going to see that, that before Jesus, we were slaves. That before Jesus, we were slaves to the law. That in Jesus, we became sons and we became heirs. And finally, we asked the question, okay, so if that's the case, why would we want to go back to slavery? Why would we want to go back to slavery, slavery to the law, instead of living as the heirs and the sons that we get to be in Christ? So with that in mind, let's turn to Galatians 4, verses 1 through 11. Galatians 4, verses 1 through 11. I mean that the heir, building on the fact that we are heirs according to the promise, uh, just that verse before, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly you did not know God. You are enslaved to those who are by nature not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Let's pray. 
Father, we ask that we would be astonished by the gospel once again, that we'd be astonished that we are no longer slaves. And Father, would you forgive us for entering back into slavery, for trying to to earn our salvation before you or by any other way. And Father, would you draw us back to Jesus? Would you give us great joy in being heirs according to your promise? Father, would you help us to actually believe that these things are true? That whatever sin we may bring, that it is washed clean, that whatever works we may fail at, that they are fulfilled in Christ, and whatever position we think we have earned before you, that they are, they are secure in Jesus, that we are heirs and sons. Would you push these things into our hearts by your Spirit, that we make our Abba Father, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're building on the themes of last week. Last week we saw that, that the law is meant to enslave us. And if we want to be heirs according to the promise, if we want to be heirs, then we need to have faith, not works. It is about faith, not works. That's how Abraham was saved. That's how all of us were saved. That's how everyone in all of human history has been saved. We want to be heirs through Adam, not slaves. And so verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1 starts that same way. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he's the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. All right, so last week we introduced this concept of guardians and chaperones and nannies, that the law is supposed to regulate us and, and constrain us and show our failure to, to follow Christ, that during this time of immaturity kind of reinforces the law so that we would be totally broken before it so that in our maturity we might run to Christ. And Paul's kind of building on that concept, and he's saying that as long as we are immature, as long as we are children, then we are actually slaves. We are slaves to that law until we have moved to the fullness of maturity in Christ. Now, that's kind of hard to understand, so uh, we have an analogy for this. We have an analogy for this. All right, so let's say, let's say there's this billionaire, all right, anonymous billionaire, uh, he owns an international company with chains all over the world. And he has a son. He has a son. And now he doesn't want that son to become a spoiled brat. He doesn't want him to be this rich, kind of trust fund kid. And so what he does is, he says that during the teenage years of his son's life, he has to work at the local chain. And as long as he's there, he's going to work just as, as any other employee is. He has no benefits of being a son. He's just going to be run-of-the-mill, clock in and clock out. And during that time, during that time, he's under, he's under guardians and managers. He's under the, the time clock. He's under the same rules as any other employee. That this is kind of supposed to be his his trial period until he becomes a true heir, until he comes to his own. Now, Paul says that that's what, that's what every believer is before they come to faith in Christ. Verse 3, In the same way also, when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. 
All right, so Paul says that before we come to Jesus, we stand enslaved to kind of the same laws that we are, we are, we have no privilege before God. We, we look virtually the same as any other slave, that any other worker before God, and we're enslaved to elementary principles. All right, so not to the time clock like this, this son would have been, but to the elementary principles. Um, now, this is a little a vague term. It's supposed to be a vague term. So what are the elementary principles that we are enslaved to? All right, I think this is, what it's trying to communicate is just the, the most basic human principle of how we think we're supposed to interact with God. How any child might naturally think, how every culture has naturally thought about God, how every culture has tried to interact with God and, and earn some kind of position before him. That what do you do? You work and you get. That if you want to be good before God, then you better be good. If you want to be accepted by God, then you better do things that are acceptable. That if you want to get some kind of reward from God, then you better put in the work. That the elementary principles of all religions, every single one, of every relationship, of everything out in the world there, is that you earn your way. You earn your way. That that's kind of the baseline. And we're kind of called to, to grow out of that. To be shown, no, that's, that's not God's plan. That's kind of this elementary cooties and playground kind of mentality of how we relate to God. That there's a better way that we get to relate to God. There's a better path to be in relationship to God. But before we come to Christ, we are kind of stuck in this, in this slavery to trying really hard and failing. Now he puts us in that path so that we might seek a better way, so we might seek kind of sonship to be heirs in Christ. And that, that's where we're going next. So once you, once you are mature, once the fullness of time has come, there's this transition that's supposed to happen. We go from being a slave to an heir because you are a son. All right. Now back to this illustration. Back to this illustration. This kid, he's supposed to grow up, and once he's out of high school, maybe out of college, he's supposed to transition from kind of being this kid to being a true heir to having a, a role in his father, father's company, probably, to receiving his inheritance, to coming into maturity. Now, when he does that, the law was actually a help to him. How did the law, how did, how did being a kind of a normal employee help him? All right, it kept him from being this trust fund snob. All right, he wasn't driving to school in Ferraris and like throwing $100 bills at people. No, he didn't have any of that. He knew, he knew where he stood according to everyone else. And that's really helpful because he could see the difference between his work and his privilege, his, his efforts and the blessings of God the things that he received because he was a worker versus the things that he's going to receive because he's a son. At that time, actually, it's pretty crucial. 
that the law is supposed to totally break us down first, and then it's second, supposed to show us the real blessing that we have in Christ. Now, there's a, there'd be something really depressing if this son, instead of kind of growing up and maturing, if he was just abandoned at that one little chain store for his whole life. If this is the owner's son, and what does he do? He, he stays day in and day out from teenager years to 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s at that same little store. Maybe he becomes a manager. Maybe he owns a, a, a little cottage in town. All right, it's not a bad life. And we'd say, well, no, that's, that's acceptable. He could have done that. But what's the reality there? This isn't his identity. This isn't who he is. This is not what kind of was prepared for him. That he is something special. He, is, he does have this special relationship. And ultimately, if he lived his whole life like that, what would people think about his relationship to his father? They'd probably think that he was cut out of the will. That somehow he'd been abandoned by his father, or he'd, he'd, he'd run from his father and he didn't want anything to do with him. It'd be a de depressing lifestyle for this one who is an heir to not live like it. And that's what we're seeing here. That's what happens when we, who are sons and heirs in Christ, kind of stay as slaves, stay enslaved to the law. We don't become what we're truly supposed to be. We're kind of scrounging for righteousness, scrounging for goodness, trying to work a little bit further when there are all these blessings in store for us in Christ. All right, look at verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, could come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. All right, so at this fullness of time, when maturity had come, when we are ready to receive Christ, there is supposed to be this transition. This transition where we take kind of the whole yoke of the law and we, we abandon it, and pick up our sonship, the fact that we are heirs in Christ. Now, the analogy starts to break down a little bit because uh, in our little story, this was someone who deserved to be a son. He was born a son. All right, that's not our reality. So as we stand before God, we are not sons inherently. I say sons, not sons and daughters, because... In this culture, sons are, sons are the elite. You want a son to inherit, not the daughter. All right. Some of you are women, so you cannot be a son. All of us are sinners, so we don't deserve to be sons. All of us are not God, so we are not sons. And the reality is, okay, we should be slaves. And we should be clocking in day in and day out at that local fast food restaurant because we have no position before, before the owner. We have no position before the one who, who reigns supreme. And that's where the gospel is better than 
just getting an inheritance. The gospel is slaves, you and I, trading positions with the one true son. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right, so what is this saying? This is saying that when Jesus came down, he submitted to that slavery to the law. He kind of took the role in the store and he bought out our slavery. He redeemed us. That he bought out all of the debt that we owed to the law, all the things that we had to work for, and he did them for us. And what did he trade us for? It His own sonship. That he takes his privilege and gives us his sonship. That we might be called the sons of God. All right, what did you do to deserve, to, to, to deserve that? What did I do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. It wasn't because we are good slaves so we deserve to become sons. No, that's not how it works. No, it had nothing to do with your works. It had completely everything to do with the work of Jesus to take our sin and give us his sonship. Now, now, what should happen? What should happen to that son of the billionaire once that, once that transition occurs? All right, well, he has the law to kind of keep him humble and to make sure that he doesn't come this spoiled brat who thinks he's, he's better than other people, that, oh, look at all I've done. No, now we have someone who understands where he should be and understands the blessing that he has, undeserved. And what, who should he be? He should be like the the most generous of generous, the philanthropist who's tipping, tipping $10,000 and like buying all of Walmart's groceries for the day because he happens to be there that day. He should be that kind of guy who like sees like, oh, you're broken down on the side of the road. Like, oh, here, like have this car. That's, that's the freedom that understanding his inheritance brings and understanding how much he doesn't deserve it how he would be in the same position, but he's not because of this, breath, this blessing, this thing that he has never earned for himself. All right, what does that mean for you and me? All right, we are spiritual rich kids. All right, we are spiritual trust fund kids. We have a bank account. And the spiritual bank account is, is overflowing, it's lavished with grace. Now, we can kind of fail in recognizing this reality in two ways. First, we become those snobby trust fund kids who walk around and look at the people who are spiritually poor and think, well, oh, did you hear what they just said? Or they, they, they don't seem very full of the Spirit today. Or, you know, judging like the person in Walmart who it's like, you've been given all of the spiritual blessings in Christ, like, why are you such a miser and a judge, like a judge of these people? I say that to myself first, and like we are Scrooges, incredibly rich, but but not really willing to to be generous. We should be lavishing grace upon people, and lavishing spiritual blessing. We should be abundantly giving out 
and loving people out of, out of the, the riches that are before us. All right, we can fail in a second way, though. Some of us walk around like we are, we are still slaves. That, that we, are, we are worms before God, that we, we don't deserve anything. That we are nothing but sinners. Like, all right, that's true according to the law, but in Christ, like, you are not the spiritually destitute. You're not the rejected, you're not the impoverished, like you are the spiritually rich in Christ. And so we don't just say like, oh, I I don't know anything and I don't have anything to give. Like, I I don't know, I'm just a sinner. Like, no, you have Christ. And you have Christ to give. And you have blessings of grace to give. And you have all the abundance that the gospel brings. So, So give lavishly. Give out of your sonship, give out of your inheritance. 1 Corinthians 3.21 says this, it says, Let us boast, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. All right, that's the reality of where we stand. That in Christ, all things are ours. All things are ours. Not to self-indulge, but so that we can give those things to other people. Knowing that we have our inheritance set, we are, we are rich, that bank account is never going down. Now, Paul says that the Galatians, that the Galatians, they went through this transformation. They transitioned from being slaves to the elementary principles, to being slaves and workers and employees of God, to being heirs and sons. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. All right, this is a super interesting passage. I'll tell you why. You don't believe me, but... uh, (laughs) No, it's not. Um, All right, first. First, notice what two things are compared here. All right, these are Gentiles. Gentile men and women who followed pagan gods. These are people who would have made sacrifices to Molech and would worship Baals, and would have studied astrology, and, you know, sacrificed goats in false temples to false gods, who would have slept with, with temple priestesses. Right, these are like really bad pagan people. And what is he saying? He's saying, you know what? It all comes back to those same elementary principles. It's all exactly the same. That if you're a legalist who loves the law or you are a a pagan who's worshiping in false temples, it's all the same elementary principles throughout the whole thing. That it's all just trying to manipulate God and be good enough and try to earn your way to, 
they get some kind of blessing from a false god. Now, I'm sure that was shocking to the Galatians. Because they didn't think they were going back to, to paganism and to worshiping false gods. No, what did they think? They thought, well, no, we're, we're going to try to obey God's law now. And what is he saying? He's saying, you know what? Actually, that law, that law itself is a false god. And you are worshiping that false god. And yeah, you can make sacrifices. And all the sacrifices are all the same. That You can make a sacrifice to, to Molech with the blood of a goat. Or you can make the sacrifice to the law with a quiet time. And you can say, well, in both cases, you know what? I hope, I hope God likes me a little more today than he did yesterday because I made this sacrifice. It doesn't matter if it's a pagan god or it's the law. They're both idols. And they're both ways of manipulating God and thinking that we can, we can be effective slaves instead of being sons and heirs. Now, I think we, we don't realize this, we don't get it, if we see people who kind of, if, if you saw someone who's like, oh, you know what, what are you going to do? Like, oh, I'm going to like go to a pagan ritual today <laughs> or go, go study tea leaves or have my, my tarot card reading today. I think we'd be, we'd be shocked and be like, no, 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 don't do that. Um, but we see people who like, yeah, I just need to try harder to be a better Christian today or, you know what, I... I really want to try, to try to do A or B to get my life straight. Like, all right, both aren't living out of their inheritance in Christ. Both are calling the God the wrong God. If you're calling God anything but Abba Father, there's a problem. If you're approaching God by anything but Abba Father, there's a problem. That those who have the Spirit, like, you know that that is your relationship to God. We're not calling him almighty. We're not calling him, oh, great law giver. We are calling him Abba Father. That's who we are in Christ. Now that's where uh, Michael Horton, he has this illustration. And he says that, okay, you could have, you could have two societies that are devoid of Jesus. And we think, oh, a, a society devoid of Jesus. And we think, okay, it's like a post-apocalyptic hellscape, all right? And everyone's like dirty and wearing all black and they have tattoos all over themselves. And there's like rampant licentiousness and, and stealing and fires burning everywhere. And we're like, oh, a, a world without Jesus. All right. Yeah, that's one way to think about it. All right. You could have another world without Jesus where it's all white picket fences and beautifully landscaped yards and people who are incredibly polite and kind to one another and, and wearing sundresses and hats. And, and yet, when they go to church, and they do still go to church, and they all listen to the law and say, yeah, let's try harder today and, and go out in peace. All right, that'd be an equally Jesusless society. 
And yet, I think this one, we would say, no, save us, Lord. And we'd say this one, like, we have been delivered. We're finally getting the fruit of our labors. We're finally getting our blessings in Christ. Or the reality is, like, if it doesn't have Jesus, if that's not how you're approaching God, if that's not how you're living, it's just all paganism. It's just all slavery. It's just all the same elementary principles. So what do we do? We go back to Jesus. And remember that, all right, he, he became under the law so we might not be under the law. He became a slave so that we might be sons and heirs. We might be rich and lavished in grace. All right, how are you living? Are you living as a slave? Constantly worried about being good enough, about performing, about making sure you're, you're keeping up your workload. Are you rejoicing, giving generously, giving graciously as a son and an heir? All right, one is a person under the gospel, one is a person who is not. Let's not go back to slavery. Let's be the heirs and sons that we are in Christ. Amen? All right. Questions? Questions? There, there's such a thing as, like, serving God. Are we servants? Too? Are we servants? Yeah, so, uh, we are called servants. Yeah, we definitely are. Uh, and that's where we... We serve the, we obey the, the law of love, which is an, an interesting way of putting it. Uh, so it's not the law of, of Moses, it's the law of love. So we are called to love other people in that we are servants in that sense. Um, we serve Christ in the sense, uh, when, Paul, when Jesus talks about being servants, it's usually in the context of not thinking that like we have earned something or deserve this kind of great praise. That like, oh, in serving Christ, like, you were kind of called to do that. Um, which I think would call us back to from, from the slavery mentality, be like, no, you've been richly blessed. Like Anything you're called to do is not this great, amazing work that you're going to get this great reward for. Like You already have the reward in Christ. Um, but I think we'd say that we, are, we transition from being servants to the law to being servants of, of Christ, actually. That we serve his purposes, we are his hands and feet, that we are his body. And we do it to glorify him and love him. I think that would be somewhat of the difference. But there's a, there's a lot of passages that talk about this kind of stuff, so I'm sure I'm leaving off a lot, Evan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about, I don't know if you want to get into some of the book of James, page 4, 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 page all right, we've said it, we said it again and again. We've said this every week almost. Uh, now, if we have put our real faith in this fact, if we are heirs, we're going to live as heirs. If this, if this kid, the son of the billionaire, if he really believed he had that inheritance, he would live differently. If he didn't believe it, he would keep going to work every day because he's thinking, I, I don't have, there's nothing behind there. There's nothing that's going to fill my paycheck. 
And so we keep, we keep doing what we're doing. We keep being slaves. And that's where, like, if we really believe this, if we really have faith in the inheritance, it's going to change our actions. It's going to make us want to glorify Jesus. It's going to make us love him. It's going to make us serve people and give abundantly out of our wealth. And that's where, that's where James is saying, like, yeah, if you, if you don't really believe it, it's going to show that you don't really believe it. Randy's up here quoting, quoting scripture. <laughs> that, that the good works that we have, even those, like, those are prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Uh, but you have crowns. You have crowns, yes. 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 But they're not our salvation. Yeah, and that's where, that's like, that's the cherry on top of the Sunday that the natural works that you do by faith are then rewarded, and which is just like, well, oh, okay, like even, even then. And that's where we don't do it in any way to earn our salvation or earn our keep before God. It's kind of like, well, hey, do you also want blessings in heaven? Like, then do A, B, and C. You don't need those things. Like, if you want them, go, go run after them. Um. They're, they're an extra blessing. They're even more of the, the lavish grace that we're, we're offered. Uh, but I think we could do very few works and be very content in heaven nonetheless. I don't think that's a wise way to live, but that's, a, that's an option. Right. Because they're just another opportunity for us to glorify him. To glorify him more. Right. Which will grow out of our heart, which will grow out of the fact that we're going to change, which grows from our salvation. And and I think that uh, I think that faith without works is dead because faith is the uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, because works are the out the outpouring of faith of the fact that there has been, that there is faith. Right. And so I think that a lot of times Christians, especially, I got got to have that work so that I can strengthen my faith or you know get my faith. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people about coming to church and they're like, oh, I got to clean up my life first before I go. To <laughs> right, right. And, and the like, great irony. Yeah, no, that's no, not the point. Really The sanctifying fire of the spirit, yes. <laughs> right, right. Right, we're supposed to come broken. That's the whole point. Yeah. Uh, Leah? The heart is deceptively wicked, isn't it? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, we can turn anything into a work, into a sacrifice that, um, to try to please God. Um, I don't have any solution to that except nothing but Jesus that we have to rest in that first. And that 
we should be really careful about the works that we do, that they're, they're a, an outflow of love for Christ and not this kind of underhanded attempt to, to win some kind of favor with him, replacing Christ. Yeah, and that could be, that could be anything that we do. That could be the fact that you're all sitting here like, oh, I'm, I was a good Christian. I'm not at the beach. You know, if there's any of that, like, no, that's actually like killing your salvation. That's totally replacing Christ. Like, that's paganism. And that's not what we do. We're growing out of that. Yeah. Brian, did you have anything? <laughs> Speak for yourself, Ryan. For the simple joy of doing so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's where uh, Piper Locks talked about Christian hedonism, that we follow the, like, the law and we follow Jesus and we pursue him because we enjoy doing so. And that's real worship is when we enjoy Jesus and therefore want more of him. That's a, sorry? That's our chief end. That's our, Randy loves talking about our chief end lately. Yes, it is our chief end to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Maybe it's even to, to glorify him by enjoying him. Mm, all right. Any other questions? Sorry, this has gotten a little rambly. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come to understand your, your gospel more, um, I'm astonished by how easily it can be to, to slip back into works. And Father, it's astonished because... It's astonishing what your gospel means. It means that we have such freedom and such wealth and abundance. Father, would you help us to live out of those things and not out of ourselves, not out of our works? Father, would we not manipulate you or, or pursue this false God that, that isn't our Father, but, um, but is just this scary being? Father, would you be our Abba Father? Spirit, fill us up that in Christ we can cry that out with full confidence. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Would we pursue you through nothing but him? We pray in his name.